Welcome, everyone, to Thoughts and Prayers. Uh, me and, and Q are back at it today. I'm joined by our special guest, Legal Man. Um, just right at the top, just uh, just obligatory plug for the Substack here. We, we've got our Substack. Uh, there's a link in the show description. So, yeah, check it out. And we, we put up a few paywalled episodes now every month. And it's good stuff. So check it out. But I'm just going to get right into it here because i uh, very excited about the guest we have today is the esteemed legal man. <laughs> hey, uh, legal man. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, he's the host of uh, a great podcast called The Quash, uh, where he... Uh, he uh, does some some great stuff um, exposing the scam, you know, that we the system that me and Q kind of talk a lot about uh, what some people might call conspiracy theories, things like that. Uh, but with with always with great humor and pizzazz. And uh, he's uh, awarded himself many awards and credentials. Um, <laughs> and so you can rest assured that we've got a real expert uh, here with us today. Yes, this is for the real conspiracy heads, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I need to give myself some kind of pizzazz award. I didn't even know I had that. <laughs> I think you've got a lot of pizzazz. Yeah. And <laughs> I need to the... give myself. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, even the, the great intro you got with the FBI uh, shooting down your door and everything. So, yeah, it's great <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Um, and actually, yeah, might as well plug right here. I, I know I, I listened to your episode just uh, from a few days ago about the fake money system. Great episode that kind of gets to the root of a lot of uh, of all this crazy stuff. So definitely oh, worth wow. checking out. Yes, I almost didn't even release that one to the public because I, I a lot of my I, you know I, I put a bunch of stuff on Patreon that I don't care about because the people in there now I don't have to worry about them public. As you guys know, once it goes to the public, it's in the public. And uh, <laughs> you never know. Uh, I mean, obviously, people are snooping around uh, podcasts like mine and my Twitter account and everything else. I don't, that doesn't bother me. But um, I try to steer away on most of my public shows from things that aren't really kind of fundamentally legal topics because I get sick and tired. Well, you're no expert, uh, that stupid crap. And, uh, <laughs> and so I just avoid it. And uh, when people, well, are you an expert? Yeah, I am actually, I am a lawyer, been a lawyer for a long time, almost 35 years. So I can shut that one down. And uh, that fake money one was, <laughs> I almost marked it as an after hours because I, I heard it again. I listened to it after whenever I released the thing to public, I listened to it again. I was like, probably should have marked that after hours because I got pretty pissed off near the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's been nice since we've been putting stuff um, behind the paywall to feel the freedom of knowing only our loyal um, there you go. Exactly. Our loyal listeners are listening. Same thing. Like, you know, over on Patreon, uh, I, what I do is I don't even, they, they have all these ways you can uh, uh, allow like short snippets, five minutes and crap like that. I make absolutely nothing available there. And that's strictly not because I want to be a dick about it. 
it's strictly as a defense mechanism to those kind of bot crawlers they've got. They crawl around and uh, they would find some audio snippets sort of thing on the Patreon and then they might hassle me there. And so that's the reason I don't put it out there in any form or fashion on that platform. Uh, someone has to go and find some other stuff and nobody can get that stuff that's inside there unless they actually go in. And the little crawling bots don't do that. You know, the scrubbing bubbles, scrubbing away, they don't... Uh, they don't go inside. And uh, so I don't, even though I could probably get more people, I don't really don't do it for that. Uh, I could tempt them with so-called content and all that other crap. I don't do that. So, and yeah. I just like to tell people that because a lot of people think, well, you're a dick for not doing it. I'm like, I'm, I'm just telling you, I do it. It's strictly self-defense. It's really all it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, there was, there was an episode actually that I, a, a great one that I remember from a while back about like the $30,000 fine at the airport or something. That, that <laughs> I, I was I, riding I, on the plane. And <laughs> I mean, I, they, they announced this crap about if you're caught with your own alcohol, it was a $30,000 fine. But like, what? <laughs> it's like those quarter million dollar bald eagle feather fines that they wheel out on people. It's just moronic stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it was, uh, if it was maybe just an issue of my own low IQ or, or what it was, but I wasn't able to find it. But, uh, but that was one that I always kind of thought about as like showing people as sort of a, a red pill, a good red pill kind of intro. Cause it just shows you some of the absurdity of the whole thing. But, uh, <laughs> with, with, with that, uh, so yeah, I get we we got you here. We are going to uh, talk about a few things down the line. We we, we wanted to talk about um, the film that you're in, uh, the jo uh, Jones Plantation film. Uh, it's a great great movie, and uh, also wanted to get your your opinion just kind of on this uh, Supreme Court scam, as you call it, and uh, <laughs> and kind of how how ridiculous all, all the Supreme Court is and the way people talk about it. But um, first, so. While we have you here, kind of a theme of our show, um, you know, me and Q started the show about a year and a half ago or so, um, kind of at the tail end of all the COVID craziness. And um, that was that was kind of our like red pill moment. So, you know, it is possible, you know, people can snap out of it. And, and that's kind of something that we've been interested in since that that point is like, uh, what does it take to get people to snap out of it? And so I know on your show, Legal Man, you always talk about you used to be a constitutional conservative, you know, pretty, pretty just typical constitutional conservative type guy. But then you got the Internet and you woke up to the scam. But what I would say is uh, almost everyone has the Internet at this point and um, not everyone <laughs> Not even close to everyone has woke up to the scam. So, just kind of curious about you know what your what, what your actual process was and like how you kind of pieced it all together there. Yeah, well, um, I agree with you that most people, even though they have the internet, they don't wake up, and it's one of the reasons I have a lot of just detest for a lot of the general population is so damn lazy uh, with a scam this obvious right in their face and the ability to figure it out right at their fingertips. And uh, they just sit around and they want you to do their research and the crap. They want you to handhold them all the way through the whole thing. I just don't have any tolerance for that. But the thing is, I was always uh, a troublemaker, very curious uh, troublemaker uh, ever since I was a little kid. And 
nothing about anything ever made any sense to me. Uh, it, there was something wrong uh, to me. It was like uh, none of it ever fit. And it didn't matter if it was in uh, college where I got um, had, I was trying to drop out of this class. I didn't have time. I worked all the time, full time. The, except for the first semester of college, I worked uh, at least, at least 35 and plus hours a week. And so one day, one semester I had this uh, philosophy class. It was a logic class and uh, it was being taught by a visiting professor. And it got to the point where it was like, I didn't have time. <clears throat> I needed to drop one class. And I went to him and I said, look, I need to drop the class, explain to him. And it was past the point where you were allowed to automatically drop. You needed the professor's permission. You had to go kiss the ring in order to have this done. And uh, he wouldn't let me. And uh, I said, I don't understand. You know, I've explained the situation. What do you care uh, if I drop your class? I don't even understand. And he couldn't give me an answer. I said, dude, you're teaching logic and this makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, I said, I said, well, that's fine. Screw you. Uh, you just give me an F. And uh, I dropped the class. And he, he, of course, he gave me an F because he wouldn't let me drop the class. And I only tell that story because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm problematic. And when I was a young lawyer uh, with in law school, I was less problematic, but I was confused because, again, uh, the stuff they were teaching me, um, it, it didn't make sense together to me. And uh, of course I since figured out why none of it actually made any sense. But at the time I just kind of let it go because the entire purpose was that I'm spending a bunch of money and a bunch of time. I want to get out and I want to start making money. That was the entire focus. Uh, do well, get out, make money. So the other part just kind of went to the side. Once I got out, uh, even when I was clerking, I clerked at some very large, very well-known name firms and had uh, again, additional issues going on there. Had a problem with the firm I worked at where I became a target because I called out their bullshit and uh, left, uh, went to the public defender's office, got in yelling, basically yelling oh, matches boy. with the public defender himself, got kicked out of three courts in one year. Um, had to threaten prosecutors with all sorts of ethical complaints because they were, they're not doing their job. And, uh, so it didn't do, I've always been problematic. And I used to look for books in the back of soldier fortune magazine. They had all sorts of obscure publications you could order. And prior to the internet, that's the kind of thing that was really available. Just very, very difficult to get information. I didn't understand so-called library research and the Dewey Decimal System and all this other crap. And I wasn't going to sit in large libraries for weeks on end and study. And so it really wasn't available. You go to Barnes and Noble, there's no books there that you're going to learn anything. And so I was curious and I was being exposed to the legal system and seeing the corruption, the fraud uh, going on, on a daily basis. And then when the internet came out, uh, among other things, I once they started loading enough stuff on there, and when it first came out, it really wasn't. There was nothing really loaded on there. You, you, it wasn't helpful. And then by the late '90s and the early 2000s, uh, there started to be stuff loaded on there, and it was odd. But I could start picking stuff up and start looking through it and start realizing that hold it, 
yeah, obviously some of this stuff is is made up bullshit that's put up there by the government just to throw you off. But a lot of it was legitimate early on. A lot of it, mm-hmm. a lot more than today. It's much, much harder to, to do it today because so much of the stuff that's phony baloney um, has been phony baloney for 25 years or 20 years. And it looks legitimate now because of the fact that it's been around for a long time and cited again and again. And once I started looking through it, I uh, started coming across things. First of all, that stupid maritime law stuff that used to get pushed uh, was very, very popular and uh, realized that there's scams out there trying to explain these things to people. And then eventually I stumbled across, with the assistance of a buddy of mine, some Lysander Spooner. And Spooner was the legal way of waking up. Uh, other things I'd figured out, the phony baloney moon landing and all that stupid crap. Uh, <laughs> I'd come across that and, uh, and figured out that that was, wow, that was a big scam. So uh, that one woke me up to the fact that there could be all sorts of other things. But on the legal side, uh, when I very first read Lysander Spooner's um, Constitution of No Authority, No Treason, I got about Oh, I don't know, maybe three pages into the essay. And I can remember a sinking feeling. Oh, crap. I mean, this guy's got it right. He's he's nailed it. This thing is it's all shit. There's no authority at all for this document. It's come. I was a bamboozled and it all started making sense to me at that point. And so I pretty much read everything uh, Spooner had to say on the legal side. And that one really woke me up to how fundamental the lie could be sitting right in front of me and I wouldn't see it. And after that, it never happened again. Like the September 11th stuff. I remember reading Dr. Judy Wood's book, uh, where the towers go. And again, realizing, wow, when September 11th happened, I didn't see that. I watched it and I believed all their crap about the towers are collapsing. The towers, oh my God, they're collapsing. Look, they're falling down. Those <laughs> things were not falling down. There was nothing at the bottom. Once it, once it so-called went, when it, when it was over, there was nothing down there. There was a bunch of dust that went everywhere. But again, I'd watched it and I believed that it was falling because that's what they were saying. And those two things, Spooner and Where Do the Towers Go?, helped me to realize that the uh, the ability to objectively look at something is an acquired skill. And it was something that I didn't have honed at the time. And it's something that I've gotten extremely good at since then and focused a lot on. And the ability to see something and not cloud it with my expectations, the brainwashing, but to really just look at what is it that's actually being said? What is it that's actually on that picture? Not imagining what should be on it, what I expect to be on it, and seeing all that, seeing what's actually there. And once I was able to really start doing that, pretty much every single narrative I've ever investigated uh, has fallen by the wayside as just a, a load of crap. And, uh, um, and so that was kind of my journey. And it's, it's not that I'm, I'm so special. I'm not, I am relatively uniquely positioned when it comes to the law because I am a practicing lawyer. I was a practicing lawyer. I had seen a lot of that stuff, but on the other mm-hmm. things, I simply use a lot of those skills I just kind of described and my ability as a lawyer 
uh, having listened to so many different cross-examinations and depositions to be able to very, very carefully listen to what people say. I, I actually have in my head, when people are speaking, for the most part, I see a deposition transcript. So I'm listening very, very careful to what they say because I learned that you think you've heard something. You think, oh, man, we got him. We nailed him. Woo! You go back and then the deposition transcript comes out. It's like, ah, shit, we didn't really get him. And he kind of weaseled out on that. I thought I'd ask him a better question than that. I thought he'd said this, but he really didn't. He only kind of said that. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think we're going to be able to file on this. And Politicians so, are great at that. There, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's that kind of combination of things that society makes sure people never, ever study or be careful of that I've kind of perfected. And that's, that was kind of my path to, to figuring it all out. Yeah, interesting. And so, I mean, it sounds like you kind of, you've always had maybe let's say um, some issues with authority and then um, yes. and, and skepticism and maybe even the constitutional conservative, that being your kind of previous political viewpoint like that, you're already sort of there with the skepticism towards the state and things like that. So I imagine that wasn't maybe too large of a jump. No, it wasn't a big leap. I was very, very conservative, you know, von Mises economics and all this other stuff. I was fully bought into all that crap. But I do remember a lot of inconsistencies in the fundamental courses with the Constitution and other stuff. I'm like, well, we're not reading the whole opinion. We're only reading a very small amount of this opinion. And what's the form? I don't understand. What's the basis for this opinion mattering? We were, you know, in the first year, you take uh, federal civil procedure and you take constitutional law. Well, in federal civil procedure, you learn about uh, subject matter and personal jurisdiction. You spend a lot of time on them, actually. They're very complicated. So before a case can move forward, the court has to have both subject matter and personal jurisdiction. Okay, well, I don't understand. I've never been involved in a Supreme Court case. How do these Supreme Court cases have any control over me at all? They don't have any personal jurisdiction over me. And so you look at article three in the constitution, it doesn't describe anything. And so it's like, well, I don't get it. I don't understand how to something that these people just randomly write down. Um, how do I get bound to it? I'm not joined. I didn't get to make any of the arguments. I don't get to uh, question any of the evidence. I don't get to do anything. I think the arguments they made were crap. And people don't understand that when you read an opinion, um, even the Supreme Court journal, they don't include the briefing. They don't include the briefing. Now you can go look the briefing up and they carry, they have books of it, but it's not part of a law school class. Mm-hmm. You don't study what the argument was. You study what the court says the argument was. Okay. Well, that's already one time removed from actually reading the briefs myself and seeing whether or not that's really what they said. And that's really what they argued and whether that was their best argument and go down the list. And so immediately I was suspicious of what was going on. But like I said, I let it go because, um, you know, this is an expensive, uh, time consuming thing I'm involved with. And the goal is not to argue about the stupid constitution and whether this shit makes sense. The goal is to get a good grade, get out and make money. That's it. That was the goal. And so that's what I focused on. Can I, can I ask a question? Um, I'm just curious because there's, Obviously, 
without doxing your age or anything, there's, it sounds like you went to law school um, before a lot of our contemporaries. Yes. And I'm just curious, you know, did you feel like the kind of overwhelming liberal overtake had happened then? And if so, like, how do you think you resisted? Because I feel like even a lot of people I know who went to law school now, it's not like, pure legal theory. I feel like they are getting sort of indoctrinated with like these liberal ideas. And I'm just curious how you, if that wasn't in existence, I'd love to know that. And if it was, how do you think you specifically resisted it? I think that, well, I went to law school in the eighties. Okay. And so it, it, it sounds like a long time ago now, which cracks me up because I saw some, I saw a meme that showed that if they made back to the future today, they would have gone back to 19, like 93. It's like, well, shit, I am old. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I was, I was way out. And so, uh, in the eighties, uh, it was already liberal. I mean, law schools have always been somewhat liberal. The reality is, um, lawyers and law school is a made up thing. Anyway, there was no law school at the time the constitution was formed. Uh, law schools, for the most part, didn't exist until the 20th century. It's true there were some law schools that started in the 19th century, but most Supreme Court justices had never gone to law school uh, throughout the entire 19th century. Uh, they didn't attend law school because you read the law. You didn't go to law school. And law schools were taken over the same way that medical schools were taken over in the early 20th century. Uh, a control system to start teaching people instead of what the law says, meaning the Constitution, and then reading the Constitution, they started teaching case law. And so case law became the thing you looked at. And that started pretty much at that kind of Harvard thing with the same group. It's always the same group with the Rockefeller scammers. They started that same thing, just like they did with medicine. They did it with the law. And so the law was already uh, massively tainted. And even though there were a tremendous number of people who resisted, and you can look at anything from the 50s to the 60s and the kinds of people who were around then, yeah, you had a lot more people who understood. But the law schools had already been fully indoctrinated and taken over by the time the 70s, 80s, 90s. That, that was all taken over. Have they gotten worse and woke and more ridiculous? Of course. Now they don't, I don't even know if they even teach regular law anymore. They probably just teach <laughs> DEI and some other stupid crap and, and you don't learn it. Kimberly, Kimberly Crenshaw. There you go. And that's all fine because the, for the most part, the education in the law school is brainwashing anyway. And it has been, and it was during my time as well. And so is it better? I don't know. I was on law review. Again, I had problems with law review wrote my essay, did not care one bit if it got uh, published. That's supposedly the big deal. I just wanted to fulfill the obligations so I could get credit for it and get the stupid credit and then say, okay, yeah, you were on law review. Got in a big fight with a the guy. They, they argue about all the stupid crap telling me this was in passive voice. You got to put this in active voice. And I said, dude, ha put that sentence in active voice. I got so sick of it because we were going over <laughs> it. And he couldn't put it in active voice. And that was the end of the so-called uh, review of my paper at that point because like dude you can't some things need to be expressed a certain way but i tell that story only because it was already a ridiculous sort of charade it has nothing to do with justice you know learning about justice you're learning about what the court said about what the court had already said some other time when the court had said something else that's it they call that constitutional law and it's moronic and the fact that we're getting further and further and further away from the Constitution, so-called, <laughs> that's true. 
We are, but I don't think that the people today, say in the last 10 or 15 years that went to law school, were any more really indoctrinated than I was because the people I know who are younger lawyers uh, and a guy that's a 10-year lawyer is really not a young lawyer, but you know, compared to me, 35 years, he's a young lawyer. And those people are pretty bright. And they see that this stuff is brainwashing nonsense, okay? They, they see it's it's just DEI, DEI crap. And so they weren't really affected by it. They took it the same way I took it, which is got to keep your mouth shut, uh, pretended that you're all on board for the stuff, and push through. And, and there's a lot of people who do that. Yeah, I'm hopeful it's it's more than we think that are doing that, but... Yeah, and of course, they, they at these the so-called uh, Ivy League schools, um, they make sure that they only bring people in who have a long history of having already done that in other areas. And so right. it is getting warped uh, more and more and more, but that's not the fundamental problem we've got with the law. <laughs> yeah, which is maybe an, a nice kind of transition into the Supreme Court stuff. And you've already kind of gotten at a few of the the ideas here but yeah like you like you were mentioning and it, it's kind of a technical like legal legal type issue but like there are in theory certain like um requirements for the supreme court to hear a case one of them being yeah like um personal jurisdiction and subject matter jurisdiction and all that and one of them being like mootness meaning like the that by the time the uh the case reaches the Supreme court, it, it can't have been like already resolved. Um, but of course we know like countless instances of that, where that doesn't, you know, it, it's just violated all the time. Like a, a big example would be like Roe versus Wade. I was about to say that where she yeah. had a baby already. <laughs> right. Like by the time that case was decided, she had already given birth to the baby. So, I mean, true, but they do have technical procedural so-called rules to handle these situations where it is as a as a practical matter of fact an impossibility to get a case through in time to hear it and mm -hmm. that is understood and there are legal exceptions for it because the uh, and the reasoning I don't disagree with I, I agree with it that is that in effect you can never get a legal opinion about it and therefore they'd be able to abuse all sorts of situations where mm -hmm. by the time you get there it's moot and therefore mm -hmm. you're going to get poured out and so I agree Roe yeah. v Wade is wrong for a thousand other reasons yeah. <laughs> uh, but but mootness, I don't have an issue with. I don't have an issue with the fact that it was technically moot, though uh -huh. you make an excellent point that there are a lot of technical, procedural, uh, and substantive issues that get uh, resolved prior to the time the court can hear it. And uh, a lot of them are um, no different than the banking rules where they can only pay a certain amount. We pay the maximum amount of interest allowed by law. In other words, you mean the laws you went in there and lobbied for to make sure you didn't have to pay any more interest? Yeah, those laws. So the court itself makes these made-up rules. And says, oh, hands are tied. They make the rules. And so <laughs> it's, it's a little disingenuous for them to act as though there's a problem with them taking these things. The point of all courts, all courts, any case of any sort, is justice. See, anything that stands in the way of that is something that needs to be thrown aside, not something that needs to be exalted above the idea of being able to do justice in the case. That's the entire reason of running the sham. If you're going to have a court 
the whole purpose is to do justice, not, hey, sorry about this. This is a shitty rule. My hands are tied. Um, what are you talking about? You're the judge. You're supposed to do justice. And the Supreme Court is another situation like that. Right. And then, yeah, like a, another thing, which is kind of going back to the, the Lysander Spooner stuff that you alluded to, but, you know, and the, the, const the fundamental constitutional issues. But basically, um, I, and I don't know how many if this is common knowledge or not, but so I'll just explain. But like the basically, according to the Constitution, the federal government is a const is a is a government of enumerated powers, meaning that the only powers that it has are the ones that are specifically enumerated, listed in the Constitution itself. And so then there's like Article 1, 2, and 3 talk about the executive, legislative, and judicial branch, respectively. And, um, you know, other than the powers that are specifically listed in those articles, theoretically, the government explicitly does not have the power to do anything that's not listed. Um, and, but, you know, of course, again, that's violated all the time. And um, with one example being the power of judicial review itself, which is like the power to um, basically overturn laws passed by the Congress at the Supreme Court which like it was a power that is not it, what it, uh, article three. I don't even, it's very vague, right? It just says something like. Salt the Supreme to, judicial authority. Of the United States shall be vested in the Supreme court. That's it. It's basically all it says. Yeah. And some, is there cases and controversy to hear cases and controversies or something like that? That's in there. And that's about the yeah. jurisdiction. And yeah. um, the, the purpose of Article Three and the idea that I, th I think you're getting at it, this idea of judicial review, which is something that's it's not in the Constitution. So right. judicial review is not in the Constitution. What people mean by judicial review is that the Supreme Court tells us what the law is. Okay, this is this is the nonsense that Justice Marshall spewed in uh, Marbury versus Madison, and that's the basis for all of this, in effect, uh, gigantic Supreme Court authority. Uh, people talk about three co-equal branches. There's nothing co-equal about the branches in the co federal constitution. They're obviously not equal. Can the president remove anybody in Congress? No. Can the Congress remove the president? Yes. Can, can the president remove the Supreme court? No. Can Congress? Yes. <laughs> can they're not co-equal so under no circumstances. Can one branch that can remove the other branch be equal? That doesn't make any sense. And so they aren't co-equal. It's another fundamental lie uh, about the construction of the document. But the idea of judicial review has a lot of benefit in that the concept behind the Supreme Court is that the only reason we have it with the Articles of Confederation, which was the government the United States had prior to the Constitution, there was no court system. There was no executive branch. They had no way to even enforce any of the made up stuff they said. They couldn't delay and collect direct taxes on any of the people of the states. All they could do is ask the states for money for something, and the states were apportioned their allotment, and the states decided whether or not they wanted to give them that money. And they would raise the money and give it to the federal government. If they thought the federal government was screwing around, they wouldn't give it to them. And so there's very fundamental changes. And once you have this thing that can make law, well, now you need some kind of court system to resolve it. You have to have something. And the fact that it's the supreme judicial authority only means that it gets the last say 
and whether or not a federal case is a certain has a certain outcome. You have to have a way for the case to end. You have to. Can't go on forever. And so you got a trial court, right? You got to have an appeal. You got to have something else. And so someone has to make that decision, and that's the Supreme Court. The concept of it being checked and in place and all these other things, anybody can look at the Holy Federalist Papers and see that not one damn thing is said about it. There's absolutely no discussion of it. Not one single bit of discussion about how the Supreme Court will be the law of the land. And once they make a decision, everyone will have to obey it. And once they bless something, then it's all constitutional. All the stupid crap that people believe. There's not one single piece in any of the so-called Holy Federalist Papers. There's no discussion of it in any of Madison's notes from the stupid Constitutional Convention. And so you can know that it wasn't something that the people ever considered to be a problem because it was never discussed. And yet we live under this tyranny that if the court says it, that's it. That's it. The only option is to, to wait and try to get the court to hear it again and try to get them to reverse themselves or get some more people on there or maybe try to get them impeached or some, some crazy thing. We're just completely and totally bound slaves to this uh, group of people. And so uh, judicial review is, like I said, it's, it's got some interesting parts to it, but there's no constitutional basis for it whatsoever. None. Right. And it's I mean, it speaks to kind of another issue that I think you talk about a lot, which is the idea that so it's supposed to be these checks and balances between the three different branches, whatever. But <laughs> at the end of the day, their interests are largely aligned because they're all the government like they're all they're just different branches of the government. And so they'll just do you know, they don't check and balance each other. They just work together to expand one another's power, basically. And judicial review is like a great example of that, because I mean, whether it has some benefits or not, you know, sure. But but it, it, the, the Supreme Court gave itself that power. And when when it, in the Marbury versus Madison decision, it just said, yeah, we have the power to do this. And so, I mean, how you know, it, it just doesn't it doesn't. Well, Marbury is interesting. And the point you're bringing up is interesting to me. And I've spent a lot of time on it in my show in different types of episodes. Marbury versus Madison was a, a classic example of a case I was confused about in law school. Because you read the case and you realize uh, at the end of the case that, um, hold it, the actual holding in the case is that there's no jurisdiction. <laughs> that's the holding. <laughs> the holding is the court has no jurisdiction to rule that the, there's, there's nothing to this, that it's gone. Okay. Well, you've also learned in federal civil procedure that if there's no jurisdiction, that's it. That's the very first thing that gets addressed by any court. So the very first thing the court should have done is when we looked at the facts and said, we don't have any jurisdiction End of the case, all the stuff you hear about with regards to judicial review in Marbury is is all what's called dicta. It just means it's just some crap the court says that has absolutely no authority whatsoever, even under the court's own made-up rules, because it's not part of the case, because they had no jurisdiction. And the reason they did that was because if they'd said all that stuff back in like 1806 or whatever the hell it was that came out, and they tried to assert this kind of insane authority and power and actually done something about it, Everybody would have blown up and said, get the hell out of here. You don't have this authority. So they did it in a sneaky way where they did it in a case where they actually didn't use the power. 
They said they had it. And then over about 30 or 40 years, it slowly grew up and they started citing their own language as though that's actually law, as though that was actually something besides dicta. And so it was a very sneaky way they brought it in. And they brought it in in a sneaky way, probably because everybody was kind of on board with the same thing. But there were still a lot of people around who were alive when the Constitution had been formed. Uh, Justice Marshall himself was in the Virginia Convention and was well aware of what that Constitution was about and that the court had no such authority. And so he didn't bring any of that up. So he was a very disingenuous, power-hungry uh, POS, in my opinion. But you also had a bunch of guys still riding around wearing swords uh, <laughs> and dueling. And you start pulling that kind of crap with a lot of those guys. They're going to pull out a sword, man. Um, they're going to challenge you to duel. They're going to shoot you. And so there was a lot of I reasons. think we need to bring back dueling, honestly. I think Yes, that we do need to. Yeah. But with machine guns now. There you go. Um, and so <laughs> I would say this about judicial review, and that is that the concept that's also very often confused is that the idea that a court can rule and say that, look, what they're trying to do here, it's unconstitutional. That is something that's there to protect the people from the government. Okay, ruling that something the government's attempted to do has overstepped and therefore is not constitutional. I have no problem whatsoever with the court having that power to the extent that's what you call judicial review. I agree with Marbury. Mm -hmm. I agree. They should be able to say it's unconstitutional. They said it, like I said, in that incredibly sneaky ass fashion because they knew what would actually happen. But it's a protection for the people. The problem is equating the idea that the court, when it rules something is unconstitutional and the government has overstepped its bounds, that therefore it's struck down and doesn't apply to people, is completely and totally different than the idea that the court can rule that something that's obviously an overstep is in fact not an overstep and that they do somehow have this additional power and now we're all bound to this additional power. Those are completely and totally different things. They are not reciprocal sides of the same coin. And if the court was given the authority to strike something down as unconstitutional, it does not mean it was given the authority to rule on something and therefore it be deemed to be constitutional for all times. Those are right. not reciprocal. They are not the same. And, and you'll find that if you study the Supreme Court in an objective way, that that's what happens all the time, right? Bingo. Like, with Obamacare, like it con the government, it's a case of the government granting itself more and more power, like Obamacare, right? Like the, somehow the Supreme Court decided that the government actually does have the authority to force everyone in the country to buy health insurance, you know, even though that's nowhere in the Constitution, you know. It's ludicrous on its face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter that it's ludicrous on its face. We're told that what the people agreed to was that a star chamber of unelected jokers who they have no say in, whom no one even knows how many there'll be, no one knows what kind of case it is, no one knows how well it was briefed, no one knows what kind of arguments were made, and none of them even matter because they can just make something up and say it happened. And then that's it. We're all bound to that. That makes no sense. Nobody would ever agree to that. And in fact, if you attempted to try to claim that that's what this contract was and your client had agreed to it, he's probably not even uh, capable of actually making decisions. He's probably non-compass mentis because it makes no sense. Nobody's going to give away this kind of power 
that they can just simply write something down in secret, come out, and then we're all bound to it? That makes no sense. But that's what they claim. And that's the difference between saying something's unconstitutional versus so-called the Supreme Court blessing a statue, and therefore it is constitutional when it clearly isn't constitutional. And it's that incremental little growth that they use, the, the death by a thousand cuts. They take one little step and they find it and it makes no sense. And then they use that language in another case 10 years later to expand it out a little bit more. And then they expand it out a little bit more and they expand. Well, now it's completely and totally unrecognizable. And Obamacare is a classic example completely and totally preposterous that a limited government with express powers, which we supposedly have, that literally lists as one of the additional powers that they can have post offices and then feels compelled to specifically enumerate the authority to also create postal roads inside the Constitution. It's that careful that they somehow missed this gaping authority to require everybody to buy health insurance and to subsidize everybody in the country's health insurance. You can just tell on his face, it's ludicrous. And the fact that we get stuck arguing about the fact that they made a mistake and that John Roberts didn't step in with an opinion or some other thing. No sane person would put themselves in a position such that some joker they have no control over who's sitting for life has decided to do something else and therefore we're all bound. It just, no part of that makes any sense. Right. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I think I, part of the reason I wanted to talk about this is because, you know, this is an election year. It's something that I, actually I've, uh, you know, gotten into arguments with my family about. And I, I don't know if, if you if I mention this, but like Hugh and I are are like ex liberals more so than coming from the conservative side. So like a lot of our framing is kind of talking to that audience and trying to like help Great. them along. So uh but but that's something that a lot of people bring up in these election years, even if even when they're like, you know, because a lot of people hate Biden. Right. You know, like hardly anyone like actually likes Biden. <laughs> but what you'll hear is like, well, you know, the Supreme Court, like the you know, the conservatives got dominated the Supreme Court. So, you know, we need to take it back and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. What do you have any thought? Like, how would you respond to that idea? <laughs> I think it's I I think this court issue is really really important for anybody on any side. The idea, first of all, when they overturned Roe, uh, did that make any difference? No. All it said was that that previous opinion was crap, which had imposed on uh, states some obligation and so-called constitutional limitations of this and that. If they were really interested in liberal policies and didn't want top-down kind of fascist demands from the government, then they would love the idea that the Supreme Court has basically no authority to tell us anything. And then they're free to go and write whatever laws they want. Obviously, it's not unconstitutional if they want to outlaw abortion, if they want to make abortion legal. They're welcome to do it. Abortion was illegal in every single state that ratified the Constitution. Abortion was illegal in every single state that re-ratified the Constitution after the Civil War. Abortion was illegal until the 1960 in every state. Well, so the they, try, idea, they, try to, they try hard to rewrite that history, but yes, that's, that's true. Yeah, okay. Uh, yes, they do. But my point only is that 
the idea that a, abortion could somehow be unconstitutional to have laws against it is ludicrous. There's no way to make it. But that the opposite is also not true, which is the issue of whether it's something that's unconstitutional or something you must be constitutional. And that means that just what all the court said is that there's no federal issue that comes down and controls this. It just goes to the states. And so if you want to live in California, absolutely nothing's changed. There's no problem. You live in a place where people want to pass laws and allow people to have abortions, then go knock yourself out. Do it all day long. And that's the way it would be in most things, is that these things that uh, people want, instead of it all being a single size fits none, which is the solution we have now, I would prefer massive decentralization where whatever you kind of want, yeah, you get to do in the area. If that's what the people want in your area, that's that's what people should be allowed to do. And I'm the last person that wants to uh, impose uh, some kind of abortion law on people, but I'm not really a fan of abortion. But I'm also not a fan of the state telling people what to do. And so um, it's all these things are slippery slopes. All of them are slippery slopes. And the problem we have is that the government and the people who run it have figured out ways to pit all the people against each other. And now you have so many different issues that have been federalized that there's a thousand ways that there are to argue. And so many people are somewhat single issue, so-called voters. And so if that issue is their hot button, then that issue is their hot button. And if they have two or three issues, then that's it. It really doesn't matter what else the person does. That's, that's what the person has to sing to. And when you have a system like that and you have this crazy number of issues, well, what happens is the people themselves ultimately have almost no control of what's going on. And they can just divide everybody up a thousand different ways, which is what they've done. And then they have all the power and the people really don't have any power. Mm -hmm. Did you have a question, Q? No, I was just going to say COVID proved like that they don't actually want what legal man is <laughs> saying. They don't actually want decentralization. Like a lot of liberals do actually want like a, kind of authoritarian um, system where a good president they elected can tell them to do whatever they, <laughs> whatever he wants. You know what I mean? Right. And <laughs> the constitutional conservatives, they're, they're just as big a hypocrites. You know, people run around talking about freedom and liberty, they all and all that, but they love what they really want is a government that does the stuff they want. Right. They want us to spend a ton of money on the military. Oh, they want us to defend Israel. They want us to defend this person, that person, terror, this and that. We got to lock down. Oh, that's what they want. And so they're just as big a hypocrites uh, as so many of the liberals are. This is why I don't like uh, any of these political positions because they're ultimately all hypocrites in all these different areas. Yeah. And I think, I think that's why we relate to you. Cause I think a, and I, to some extent feel politically homeless because like, we, we have criticized Trump on the pod for his initial handling of COVID. Like, you know, he operation warp speed and all that stuff, but it's like, <laughs> we'll turn around and criticize the Democrats too. And it's like, everyone just, yeah. Anyway, what you're saying is true. Everyone just wants a government yeah. that does what they, they want. That's what they, that's what it is. <laughs> they, they want, they want to, to have their guy in there. Right. This is, 
another reason why it doesn't matter how many polls show that Congress's approval is 12%. It's lower than the used car sales and all this other crap. So what? The people continuously reelect their own guy and they and they constantly get reelected because they love their guy. They just want more of their guys in there doing what they want. They don't actually stand for limited government. They don't actually stand for anything. They stand for these ideas like, and I said, with a police state, they'll tell you all about, ConCons will tell me endlessly about how they shouldn't have limited government, but then they'll stand or, turn around and defend the FBI. It's like, dude, the FBI is yeah. unconstitutional. This is a ludicrous idea. <laughs> there was no such thing as a police force when the Constitution was created. It's completely and totally impossible that the people ever agreed to and ratified a Constitution with the expectation that the federal government could have armed agents running around keeping secret records on people, recording them, and bringing cases against them. That's ludicrous. That's the opposite of freedom. But con-cons who claim to love the Constitution and freedom, they love law enforcement. They love the FBI. And so they're a great example of the hypocrisy that I cannot stand. And I, as being an extreme, basically kind of an anarchist, basically, but I'm a libertarian. And like I said, I'm for people getting to do what they want. I'm not okay with the government being used to try to impose things, take my money at gunpoint and give it to other people. That's all. If people want to live their life in a completely different way than me, that's great. Go do it. No problem. Please. That's, uh, that's should be the goal of everybody. Yeah. And the, the FBI thing is so absurd. And the, even like, um, now me and Q always joke about now it's like in the, in the, since the Trump era, when he was like supposedly whatever, waging his war on the deep state. Now all the liberals love the <laughs> FBI and stuff too. It's crazy. Like, <laughs> it's um, so crazy. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> they, they end up getting stuck on the opposite side of so many issues that literally <laughs> makes no sense with the thing they just said. And yeah. <laughs> This is the problem when you drive everybody into this incredibly limited uh, option, which is to go into a government booth every couple of years, pull a single lever, and that's it. That's supposedly your voice. That's supposedly everybody agreed to. And then whatever they do for the next couple of years, uh, regardless of whether they do anything they said they do, they do the opposite of what they said to do, there's nothing you can do about it. You have to so-called obey it. And the only thing you can do is hope and wait for the next time where you can then vote for either them again when they tell you they made a mistake and they're definitely going to get it right this time, like Trump <laughs> claims he's going to fix it this time. The guy hired another but deep state rats. Okay, well, if your only other option is somebody who's going to do something even less of what you want, well, then, yeah, then that's the system. One guy's going to screw you one way. The other guy's going to screw you 10 times worse. Well, I guess I'll take the guy that's only going to screw me one way as opposed to 10 times worse. That's that's no that's no great system. Yeah. And so I, I have one, one question, too. Um, just so, like, it seems like the government will, in general, tend to expand its own powers like all kind of working in tandem like we talked about and you know obamacare suddenly the government has this power and so on and so forth but there are examples of where the government is is limiting its own power to some degree like the one you just raised where uh, i forget the name of the case but where they overturned roe versus wade and basically said the government the the constitution doesn't 
guarantee the right to abortion. And I have some thoughts on this, but I wanted to get like your interpretation of like how something like that can happen in a system like this or what it, what it means when something like that. Uh, my, my belief on all of this stuff is on, with regards to that special case, that case is so indefensible from a constitutional standpoint. It's so indefensible and it's so public that you're always going to have a lot of people uh, upset about it, whichever way the court is currently ruling, whichever way, because that's just the nature of that extremely emotional issue. Um, the reason I believe that things happen and they don't just simply abuse everybody as much as they want all the time is because the entire game that runs in our country is 100% dependent upon people continuing to believe this total fantasy that they are in charge and that the constitution limits the government and that their vote matters and all this other crap. Well, if they absolutely made it clear as day that that wasn't true, well, then they might have a problem. We'd have a very difficult time getting people to sign up to fight to save the Constitution and to go and wave the flag and, and kill people overseas to protect our freedoms and all this other stuff if it was obvious that wasn't the case. And so they absolutely have to keep this concept together. And that's my theory about why Trump is so incredibly important to their narrative and why I told my nephew before he... Uh, Back in 2020, in that summer, I said, I think if I had to bet, I'd say the guy's going to lose because he's a lot more valuable out of office than he is in. Mm -hmm. Because you can constantly keep the people stirred up that he got screwed and we got to come back and fight. Because all of that stuff is ultimately that the base of all of it is that if you don't vote, if you don't get organized, you could get screwed. And it helps both sides because everybody hates him on the opposite side. And the people who love him, love him so much. And the underlying message is always the same, that it's your vote. It's so important. It's so critical. It's so incredibly critical that this is what can happen if you don't get out there. And that is the story they need. It doesn't matter that it absolutely there's no evidence to support any of it. I did that show where I went back 60 years with the presidential candidates and showed that all the presidential candidates that lost over the last 60 years, if we'd had any of them, all of them, it would have made absolutely no difference if Hubert Humphrey had gotten in there or Mitt Romney or John McCain. or You go down the list on both sides, Democrat, Republican, it makes no difference. But that narrative... That narrative, the heart of it, that people died for a vote and it's all so important, that's the narrative they have to keep running. And so mm -hmm. things like uh, Roe versus Wade that go back and forth, it gives the people a sense of power that they got Trump, they got these justices, and look, see, we can do it. Yay, 50 years later, we got a meaningless case on the books. Okay, that's, that's the big breadcrumb the people are thrown to keep believing in the system. And they have to have that because our system runs on it. Do they have the power to currently put you into, in effect, a full-on electronic prison and run this place like a gulag? Yes, but those aren't sustainable. That type of government has a clear resistance to it. And in our government, every single side of the so-called resistance is political resistance. It's not to taking this government down. 
That's never possible. That's never discussed because not only is it illegal, but it's unnecessary because what you really have to do is get organized and win at the ballot box. And as long as they keep that scam going, this thing is absolutely impervious and can never be touched. And that's the key. That's why it doesn't matter if you're a conservative or a liberal, a massive, super strict conservative or incredibly left winger. It doesn't matter. They all agree on a couple of things. And that is that the Constitution is stinking fantastic. It's a freedom <laughs> machine if you just use it the right way. And the way that happens is by getting organized, stay informed. You have to say stupor informed and vote. That's it. That, that's the whole story, no matter what part of the political spectrum you're on. So wait, right. real quick, yes or no question. You you support me being a non-voter? Because I don't want to vote in the next election. I don't vote. I haven't voted in Great. 30 years. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a waste of time. I just it's wanted a- permission. So everyone heard it here. I don't want to vote, and legal man says it's fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're you're saying <laughs> The idea of getting informed. See, these, these jokers all the time, we've got to get informed. got to stay informed. need an informed electorate. Is the problem really that nobody can figure out that there's a problem? No, we've seen endless problems. We all know there's problems. The problem is that nothing they tell you that you're supposed to do to fix it works right it's not a matter of not being informed yeah and i think that that dynamic where they're trying to keep everyone invested and feeling like your voice can be heard and blah 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 that explains why it's almost always just this almost perfectly balanced between the democrats and the republicans you know it's always a a nail biter a close election (laughs) and uh and then that was kind of my my um interpretation of the Roe versus Wade being overturned thing too from the Democrat side was, so you had this situation where COVID, it was like uh, COVID had been going on. And a lot of people, a lot of even Democrats, like moderate Democrats were starting to get really fed up with what was going on and just thought it was ridiculous and were kind of waking up to it to varying degrees. But um And, and then all, and so, you know, I, there were a lot of people who were basically saying like, well, I'm either, I'm not going to vote or I'm going to vote Republican for the first time ever. Then all of a sudden you get this Supreme court decision overturning Roe versus Wade. All of a sudden, then all these people who were kind of over the democratic party say, well, I guess we have to go back because this, the abortion issue is so important that we just have to set everything else aside and just vote blue, you know, no matter what. Right. That's how easy they are to manipulate. Is it a planned thing? We can never know. I don't get the email. Um, I don't think it's necessary that it be a planned thing because there's so many things that they can stir up and then so-called make an issue by just mm-hmm. ginning up the Wurlitzer and having it play all the time and having people interviewed about it and having people tell you how important it is endlessly. Uh, they'll get people to believe that the same way they got people to believe that when there was a pandemic that had an illness that didn't have any symptoms. Uh, they, they convinced people of that. So you can convince people of anything. And I think the abortion is an incredible hot button that they can wheel out whenever they want. 
uh, and stir people up with it. And they have lots of them. Gun, gun rights. Gun control. Another yeah, one they another can pull one, out. Yeah. Oh, gun control. Oh, my Second Amendment. Dude, your Second Amendment got blown through so long ago. <laughs> what are you talking about? You go, yeah, gotta have, we got to have background checks, proper licensing. Oh, the conservatives are all completely fine with that. It's ludicrous. It's You don't have Second Amendment rights. They're all gone. They've been blown up. And so all of these things are just, they're just manipulations of the population, ultimately. That's really all they are. Yeah. So don't want to take up too much of your time here. We're, we're, we're running close. But I did just want to get in a little bit about your uh, the film that you're in, uh, Jones Plantation. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about about what was going on with that. Yeah, Jones Plantation. Um, I, I really get a kick out of it. I hope people go watch the movie. It's currently only at jonesplantationfilm.com, but I know that it's scheduled to be released on Amazon and widely on all the other major platforms here within the next couple of weeks. That's what I've been told by Andrew, who's the director, and he's in charge of all that stuff. And I know they had some other issues, but the movie is a allegory in effect, the story was by uh, Larkin Rose, and anybody who's in the so-called freedom movement knows Larkin, and Larkin's a great guy. And he wrote the original screenplay for it, which got adjusted on, on uh, set quite a bit by me and Andrew, but the heart of it is still the same. And the ultimate point of the movie is to give people an allegory to explain the fraudulent nature of the political voting control system and the fake money system that you're basically on a plantation in what you think is freedom. And there's a lot of twists that I don't like to give it away, but I play Mr. Jones and I'm kind of the uh, drunk uh, dick (laughs) plantation owner who's having a problem with his plantation and is concerned the slaves are going to revolt. We're losing money. Can't figure out how to manage this thing. We bring this guy in to manage it. And we get a high, very strong recommendation from a couple of our neighbors. And when he arrives, it turns out he's a black dude. <laughs> and, you know, you can figure from there, antebellum South, we got a black dude here going to teach us how to control the slaves. It's, it's an interesting story and we end up doing all sorts of things with elections and uh, running script with Jones plantation credits and things like that. And we try to teach people in a friendly, very baby step way about what's really going on when they imagine that they're free voting for these people and uh, all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Definitely recommend everyone uh, check it out. And yeah, it's a great kind of allegory, like you said, and basically, yeah, freeing the slaves. But what does that mean? <laughs> and uh, and looking at the different ways you can get to kind of keep them still under control. Um, and- I really liked the movie and I was in it. I, I can just tell you, <laughs> it was an entertaining movie. It cracked me up to watch it. It's funny just to see my face on a giant screen that cracked <laughs> me up. And one, I grew this crazy mustache combination thing in order to uh, play that role. But um, it's, it's a, it's an entertaining movie. It's not a movie that goes there and preaches at you. That was the entire goal. We had a lot of humor uh, when Andrew and I kind of tweaked the script. Uh, we added a lot of humor to it in order to make it because the materials already got a lot of sort of dark stuff and is already pretty heavy 
and we wanted it to be easily digestible. And um, I hope people uh, like the movie. Like I said, it's there's never been a movie like it. There's never been a movie made that tells a story like we tell in Jones Plantation. There just hasn't been. And it's not a movie about the slave plantation that anybody expects. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I just, I, I got a couple more questions, just rapid fire here before okay. you, and then, then we'll let you go. But I'm just curious, have you ever successfully red pilled someone else in real life? Uh, yes, I have. And I've also red pilled people on the uh, internet. People contact me all the time, uh, through Twitter and, uh, sometimes through my Patreon account, normally Twitter first and Patreon, sometimes just straight into Patreon. And they tell me about it. And they also tell me that, um, my material has helped them to red pill other people. Awesome. So what's the key? What's, how do you do it? <laughs> I don't think there's an answer. I think, uh, yeah. I think the, one of the things I use is questions as opposed to information. Mm -hmm. I ask people questions that lead them to try to find things out for themselves as opposed to, uh, uh, sort of just preaching to them about what supposedly is the situation. Cause nobody's going to listen to that. But mm -hmm. if I ask them uh, questions that are, uh, um, uh, thought provoking in areas, then that does help. And the other thing I tell people is for them to any topic that, in, that intrigues them, any topic at all that intrigues them, go investigate whether that, that official narrative is true. Because I've investigated topics for 25 years. I've never, ever, not one single time ever found an official narrative that they push <laughs> That's true. And I know people think that's bullshit. They don't believe it. But go take the legal man challenge. Go and investigate a narrative that you are attached to, that you think's true, and you will see that the official narrative that they push, it can't just be an official narrative. Oh, the, the sunrise in the east, I investigate legal man. It's not true. Uh, you're wrong. Uh, now I'm talking about something they push. Look at the stupid food pyramid. You think that thing's accurate? You think if you eat like the food pyramid, you're going to be healthy? No, you're going to be sick. They tell you it's safe and effective. Chab, is it safe and effective? Of course it's not safe and effective. Anything they tell you, oh, you're eating too much protein. Bullshit. You're not eating enough protein. You can always tell whatever they're telling you, it's not true. And every single narrative I've ever investigated is not true. And I've, had, I've challenged people for many years now. Hey, I would love to find some stuff that's true. Please tell me an official narrative that they push. That's true. I'll go look into it. In all likelihood, I've already looked into it, but I think it's a very effective thing because everybody has different things that intrigue them. And there's absolutely no way to know what that is. And you don't know what's important to somebody. So as opposed to me trying to push them into a little tiny box and tell them to go look something up, which they're never going to do. I just tell them, if you're actually genuinely curious, then pick something you think is of interest that they push and go look into it. And you'll see it's total bullshit. I can 100% guarantee you. I don't even know what it, I don't need to know what it is. I know it's crap. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because I mean, so many, it's so many landmines out there and like most people, right. If they're not hip to this stuff, what they're going to look at, what the Reuters fact check or whatever, you know, or the right. Snopes.com and they're just going <laughs> to see the same, Oh no, it's true. And, um, and then on the other hand, if you like, you could instruct them to just look at kind of the, uh, the whatever alternative viewpoint. Um, 
and just just to read what people are actually saying. But then there's even so much out there that's just like um, bad faith kind of representations that make all the kind of counter arguments look ridiculous and all this stuff. So, oh, yeah, this is a, a good example of what I was saying earlier, which is that, you know, 20 plus years ago, I was warning people, you better go do your research. Because if mm-hmm. it's just going to get harder. And now there are so many controlled opposition pieces that are designed. And I think a lot of them are like that COVID thing is a good example. When COVID came out, and I knew it was crap from day one, but when they started coming out with the jab, they have a huge amount of what I consider to be controlled opposition people trying to explain to everyone, tell everybody, and prove to people with all this so-called shit that everybody that took the jab, they're all going to die. And millions and millions and millions of people. It's tens of millions. I said, nah, crap. That's crap. What they're doing is, is they're setting up something so that when that doesn't come true, anybody who says in the future something, they will be fully discredited. And that is a very, very typical form that they use. They do it in all sorts of things. They get people, they finance them all over the place to take positions that sound like they're alternative. But what they're really there to do is to make sure that they're, they say reasonable, 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 and then completely preposterous and absurd. And as soon as somebody finds one of those things, it discredits them in every other way. Mm-hmm. And that is a very standard system. That's typical controlled opposition. It's textbook stuff, but it fools most people and it's very effective. And now, because the internet is so popular, there's so many people out there that look legitimate because they've been able to develop over so much time. And I explained to people that Prouty wrote a book, Colonel Prouty wrote a book called The Secret Team back in the very early 70s. And it was about the CIA. The guy was the point man between the CIA and Kennedy in the Kennedy administration. And his book's fascinating because one of the things he talks about is just exactly this. And that is that all of this controlled opposition stuff is so unbelievably prevalent that nobody, even in the CIA, knows all the different stuff they're making up because it's all departmentalized and compartmentalized. And so things that look real, like the CIA has endless amounts of what they call deep sleepers. These are people who are CIA agents their entire career and they're never used. They have complete full careers all the way through retirement in a completely different areas. That was extremely prevalent in the early seventies when he was writing. You think that's become less popular? (laughs) No, it's everywhere. So these people who look like academics, these people who look like businessmen, these people are actually full-time career CIA agents who have totally different jobs and careers, and they are never activated. But if they are needed, then they speak up. And guess what? They look absolutely, completely legit. A 25-year career in this completely unrelated area, they look totally legit. Well, That's what we're up against when you're talking about controlled opposition. And so it's very difficult to get people to really understand how sophisticated this stuff all is. And so red pilling people is it's difficult. Most people will never be red pilled. Uh, If they don't get jacked over by the government themselves really hard, they probably won't get red pilled. And if having your business shut down and being forced to take a poison jab and being told that this was all about freedom is not enough to wake you up, then you're probably never going to be able to reach. In in my opinion, I I wouldn't spend time with somebody who couldn't catch on after COVID. If COVID doesn't wake you, 
baffling yeah. <laughs> all these heart attacks and athletes just keeling over from sudden and unexpected this and that heart attacks in the middle of the night. These little kids now with myocarditis and strokes. And, well, what is this? How can people not catch on at this point? So people who can't catch on at that point probably don't want to catch on or they're incapable of catching on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're out here doing our part. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It might be futile, but got to try. Yeah. Um, and you know what? The reality is, guys, that um, even though we probably can't get enough people together, um, every single person, in my opinion, deserves to hear the truth. They deserve to hear the truth. And most of them are going to reject it. And that's fine. But there are people who will hear the truth. And for me, um, that's that's a good deal that somebody hears the truth and they wake up. You can make so many better decisions about your life and you're no longer stuck um, as a pawn for these people. And that uh, brings its own reward. Even if you can't change the course of events, okay, you can't change the course of events for the world. So what? So you can change your own uh, situation and the people around you. And, uh, and to me, that is valuable. And if that's not valuable to somebody, well then, okay, it's not valuable to them. I mean, no, we, 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 hard, we hardcore agree with that sentiment. We say exactly what you're saying often. The thing you can, yeah. the thing you can change is your own life, your own mm -hmm. outlook, the people you're close with, the people you love, you can, you, you can affect change there. So you can, and that's, that's important. And to the extent that we can get some other great, but the reality is we only have one chance and that is to reach some people. And if we can't reach enough people, well, at least we reach some people and they benefited from it. And uh, since it's the only possible way forward, well, it's the only possible <laughs> way forward. Is There's no use bitching about the fact that it may not be very effective and it may be kind of a loser's proposition. It's the only possible thing we can do that has any chance of working. So I spend time working on what I come up with is the only possible thing. Yeah. Well said. And um, so, so this has been awesome. I, I will, I, again, don't want to take up your time. So I'll, I'll leave you with one last question here just real quick. Okay. Uh, when you, when you go to the airport and exercise <laughs> your, your freedom here, do you choose the uh, radiation blaster or the grope down? Um, right now I choose the radiation blaster because nah. I don't travel very often, but, um, I, and I'm also old. So what do I care? If I was young, I would probably do the groping. Um, but if I had to travel a lot, I would also probably do the groping. But as it is, I so seldom get on a plane. I really only get on a plane when I actually have to. I don't ever opt into, I don't do a lot of pleasure flying around and crap like that. But yeah, I go with the, the, the radiation zap, you know? <laughs> well, thank you for, uh, thank you for <laughs> talking with us. We'll definitely have you, hopefully have you back on. Also, I will, I will do my best to listen back listeners and make a, a reading list that we can include in the description. Cause legal man mentioned, I think many books I'd like to look up. So I will, we'll, we'll try to do a, as complete of a list as we can of books and authors and writers that he mentioned. So we can put, <laughs> we can put that in the notes. Yeah. Well, thanks so much legal man. Really appreciate your time. And yeah, I thought it was a, a great conversation. So 
Uh, well, thanks, guys. I'm glad uh, uh, I was able to carve out some time, and uh, I really wish you the best. And I hope your listeners enjoyed, if even especially if they come from a kind of liberal bent, it may be a bit much for them. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think our audience will be on board. For yeah, definitely. Part, so. <laughs> our audience are people who got it during COVID. So, oh, okay, great, even better. <laughs> great. Great. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys. I had a great time. Thanks. All right. Bye, thanks. everyone. Good night.